This episode is brought to you by Distilled Experiences. Welcome back to another episode of This Is My Bourbon Podcast. I am your host, Perry. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 103. Super fun and interesting episode that we've got for you this week with the master distiller of Four Roses, Mr. Brent Elliott himself. So happy to finally have gotten Brent on the show. Uh, we've kind of been working on it in the, in the background for a little while and things finally came together. And I figured to celebrate, I would sip on a Four Roses single barrel private selection that Brent selected himself for the Four Roses gift shop. And man, let me tell you, it is a very good OBSV 10-year pick from Mr. Brent Elliott himself. More on him in just a minute. Couple of things to take care of right up top. And first off, we are in the middle of our Movember campaign. Uh, that's right, we are raising money for the charity organization Movember. Uh, which raises awareness for men's health and men's mental health. Uh, the health side of things, of course, being uh, testicular and prostate health and cancer awareness, and then the mental health side of it, of course, is uh, making sure to talk about things like uh, depression and anxiety and lowering the suicide rate uh, in men. It's not a pretty topic to talk about, but it is something that is very near and dear to my heart and something that I really wanted to find a way to increase awareness of and increase resources for uh, when the time was right. And, you know, this is something that I've been wanting to do through the podcast for a long time now. And finally, it feels like it's the right time. So if you want to find out how to donate to our campaign, you can find the link in the description below, as well as on all social media channels that is at my bourbon pod on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. So please, as of uh, as of talking about this, we are just over halfway to our goal of $500 uh, towards November. So please, 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 uh, if you are able to do so, if you have it within your heart uh, to donate to uh, that charity, it would be absolutely fantastic, and we would really appreciate it. There are going to be some uh, uh, rewards, actually, for donating to that. Uh, We're working on a few of those kind of behind the scenes right now, Uh, but one of the big ones right now um, is that you can ask a question in the uh, topic line, uh, uh, or in the message line, rather, when you donate. And uh, that question will be read out on a special Q&A bonus episode just for the folks who donate to the charity campaign. And that will be coming out uh, probably mid-December. That will include, of course, uh, myself, Curtis, and Swan. So that's something that will only be available for them. Uh, if you have already donated to that and you want to ask a question, and you're listening to this right now, of course, please feel free to send us a message or to uh, send us an email. This is my bourbon shop at gmail.com. We will happily include that in the list of cues that you will receive in A2 come mid December. So, one last bit of news just so you don't have to listen to me interrupt. Uh, this uh, fabulous interview with Mr. Brent Elliott himself. And that is about our sponsor, Distilled Experiences. It is a tour company out of Lexington, Kentucky that I work with. Uh, They take folks around from different distilleries while at the same time getting to show them the beautiful countryside of central Kentucky. It is an absolutely wonderful experience. You are not going to find any more knowledge, any more passion anywhere else outside of distilled experiences they currently offer two different tours during the week a friday public tour and a saturday public tour but next year the tour schedule is going to be changed up quite a bit to include a thursday night event a friday day horse tour and then a saturday day bourbon tour and then a best of both worlds uh, experience on sundays and then still throughout the week, if you are interested in booking private tours, you can do that as well at, at distilledexperiences.com. And speaking of distilledexperiences.com, if you would like to uh, book one of those experiences, uh, one of the private... And speaking of distilledexperiences.com, if you would like to book one of the public tours for 10% off, you can use 
the coupon code my bourbon podcast that's right for 10 percent off you can use the code my bourbon podcast at checkout at distilled experiences.com and you might even have the wonderful opportunity to have yours truly as your tour guide for that day so once again my bourbon podcast distilledexperiences.com. So I think that about does it for all the business that we have up top. I don't want to waste any more time. Let's get into this interview with Master Distiller at Four Roses, Brent Elliott. Enjoy! Every now and then we get a a really nice little treat on the show, and uh, this is no different. Brent Elliott, the Master Distiller at Four Roses. Brent, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Perry. Absolutely. Yeah, th- this is uh, this is really special. We were gonna try to get you on uh, around Bourbon and Beyond time, and it didn't work out. And, uh, and now here we are, sitting in the lab at the Four Roses Distillery. I thought it was a good place for a podcast. I think it pretty a pretty well suits it. Sensory aids here. Yeah, and I mean we're just surrounded by essentially Four Roses history down here too. It's pretty incredible to see all these different bottles that have come. You know, from before you and, you know, you've also brought into the fold and, and everything, too. Yeah, the uh, library here goes pretty far back. And speaking of history, where we're sitting right now, this used to be the gift shop. Really? Yeah, I know you said you'd been here before, but if, I didn't... You, if you hadn't been here pre-2012, then you're not aware of the fact that the main building up on the hill, that's new. The gift shop that we met in and Visitor Center, that used to be all the offices. That was everyone's office. Was in that wow. Wow. And this right here, if you can imagine this small space, which is now, for you that can't see this, this is our sensory lab. Yeah. Which, it's not small, but it certainly can't accommodate more than five or ten visitors no, at any no, one no, time. No. And if you go up to our... Today, it's a rainy day. It's starting to get cold out, so it's not too crowded up top. But picture uh, even a Tuesday or Wednesday in the middle of summer or a Saturday or Sunday anytime during the year. Oh, yeah. You know, it's packed up there. Absolutely. So we outgrew this space. Well, we probably outgrew it in like 2010, 2011, but we moved out of this space, moved the gift shop out of the space in 2012. Right. And you guys just got finished with a, a, a new renovation too. Yeah. On the distillery grounds. Talk a little bit about that. What all did you have going into that? Uh, that was a big project. That all began in roughly 2013. Okay. That was about the period that we realized that our capacity here was not going to be able to keep up with the demand. And and we were okay then, but that was we knew that looking out five, ten, especially out even beyond that. Right. With the capacity of the distillery, we wouldn't be able to keep pace. So we started the expansion project shortly after that. And it was about a three, at least a three year project. Mm-hmm. And it was here and at the warehousing and bottling facility. Right. So it was just here, it was about a $55 million expansion project, which essentially meant, or what went into that was doubling our capacity. Because That's incredible. You may or may not know, but our parent company, we're owned by Kieran, right. a Japanese beer company. Mm-hmm. And so when we realized that we needed to expand, we realized we had to do something, we all got together and started talking about the best way to do it. And we realized that the only way that we were going to do it was if we did it on site did it in the same facility. We don't want to move even back to the back of the property and pull sure. water from the Salt River, which yeah. would be the next best situation because it's still local and it's still from the same water source. But we uh, we didn't want to really rock the boat at all. We wanted no. to minimize any potential risk for you know, changing the flavor profile of Four Roses. Yeah. So, And we didn't want to just do a partial expansion because you've seen the process of distilling before. If you, if I took you out and showed you how we do things, it's, it's timed so precisely that to throw that off, you're just welcoming disaster. <laughs> you know, you don't want to do that. Right. So, um, it doesn't sound very creative, but we had one way to do it. And that was to do exactly what we're doing now. The same scale in the same building mm-hmm. on, on the same site, which was more expensive. And we didn't necessarily need that much expansion. Um, or that much capacity immediately. But that was the proposal that we took to Kieran. So we've got to do it this way. It's going to be $55 million. It's going to take three years. And they said yes, which was fantastic. Great. We're kind of shocked. Yeah. Because yeah. it's a lot of money. Yeah. And it's really just on speculation because with bourbon, you know, it's not 
make it today, sell it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You've got to wait. In our case, the youngest product is five years. Right. And even that's five and six year old products. So yeah. we're looking at five to 10 years and speculating what the market's going to be. Right. And putting all this money on what essentially comes down to an educated guess. It doesn't matter who you consult, yeah. what kind of data you crunch. Nobody knows. It is really just, there are degrees of how educated that guess is, but it doesn't change the fact that it's still a guess. And that's what we had to base all that on. But Kieran understands that the whole argument that we put forth mm -hmm. as far as the quality and the scale, they understood all that. So they said yes. Well, it, and it really seems like in, in this case, that educated guess kind of paid off. I mean, you look at what's in your gift shop right now, and there's a noticeable gap. Yeah, the exactly. Single, the single barrel's not there, the OBSB. Yeah, that's <laughs> true, yeah. And that is, that whole thing started about the same time when we realized that we couldn't keep up. That was the second half of it. We sure. need to expand, but we also were in a situation where we had to start allocating. Mm -hmm. And we're just not getting through that. Um, we're through it on small batch, we're through it on the four O's bourbon, the single barrel, and it always happens towards the end of the year. Yeah. Because you get in a hole. Everybody wants it all year long. And then if you start running out toward the end of the year, then everybody <laughs> orders on the front end. And it's hard to right. dig back out of that. So we're yeah. getting out of that hole right now. And you can see we don't get any special treatment. If Kentucky isn't getting their shipments, we're not either. Yeah. But we're it's actually um we have currently we're gonna we have enough to get through the rest of the year in Kentucky and in most states. But I would not be surprised if there are some other places that end up with empty shelves. That right there is probably just the effect of a busy weekend. Sure. And our mm -hmm. shipment hasn't arrived yet. Yeah. And it is, it's Wednesday, right? Yes. It should it be is here. Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not that Ooh. dire. It's not, <laughs> the situation isn't that dire. That does right. happen occasionally. If we have a weekend that is super busy and we weren't anticipating it, um, then sometimes we'll... We'll run dry for yeah. a day or two, but yeah, I'm kind of surprised to hear that. But and there's there's nothing you can do about that. I mean, it just kind of goes without saying because it is, I mean, as you said, bourbon's not an overnight thing. I mean, you've got to wait for it. You can't just pull something out of nowhere and right. go, all right, this is, <laughs> yeah. here's what you get in the meantime. Here it is. Yeah, it's not like, yeah. What, what's, or... what's nice about it now, though, is that you you have another product that people can kind of go to if uh, you know if they really do want to purchase something special that's in the gift shop, and that's the small batch select, yes, which came out this. They year. can go to it here or in four other markets. Unfortunately, right now, it's not nationwide, right? Which will sound kind of uh, when I explain the whole idea behind this product, it sounds contradictory to what I'm trying to explain because it's not in every market. The whole idea behind this product is so that. Everybody, that's what I'm stressing here, is so that everyone at any time can get a Four Roses higher proof non-chill filtered product. Right. Because the private selections, they're great. People love them. You can't yeah. get them everywhere. This product, again, not now. This isn't true. You can't get it anywhere. <laughs> but in the next couple of years, this will be available everywhere. Right now, it's only in five states. So, obviously, Kentucky's one of them. Yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> Yeah. Have you tried it yet? I have tried it yet. I'd okay. love to try it with you, though. Well, absolutely. Since it's uh, sitting out, sitting out here on the table. Yeah. And as I'm pouring, I'll tell you a little bit more about it. Yes, please. So this is, again, you'll notice it's in the small batch bottle. Yes. It is the same small batch concept, and if it's in this bottle, it's a small batch, whether it's limited edition, the standard small batch, or this. And the small batch concept, it really leans on our uniqueness. We're trying to sure trying to show how we have the 10 different recipes and how we can bring them together in different combinations to create something very different from the last release, if it's a limited edition or small batch versus small batch select. It's very different because it's different recipes. Mm -hmm. So the concept is the same. What's different is the age, or not the age, the proof. This is 104 proof versus the 90 right. the small batch. The uh, fact that it's non-chill filtered and... Um, the six different recipes that go into this. Right. We don't have any other products that use that combination that mm -hmm. have this same flavor profile. So it, it, it is kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but is there more innovation to be done with the small batch 
uh, a product from Four Roses? Because, I mean, yes, you do see, you know, the small batch uh, limited edition that comes out every year, unless uh-huh. it's the single barrel. Um, but, you know, are you stopping at the fourth rose? For lack of a, <laughs> a different Yeah, that's, it is. Um, we do refer to it as the fourth rose. Right now, it's too early to tell. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a platform for expansion, absolutely. And that's kind of how it's set up. But honestly, there hasn't been any discussion about expanding on that next year, five years, ten sure. years. If you look at Small Batch, that was the last edition, or last edition of a product you could get every day besides private selections and limited editions. That was the last edition to our lineup, and that was 2006. <laughs> so it's 12, 13 years between yeah. releases. So you can see we're not just trying to throw things out just to see what sticks. It's not just every six months. You know, yeah, tr- absolutely. You know, just shoot with just anything. You know, with this, we put a lot of thought into it. Uh, we wanted to offer something that was different and something that the modern consumer was looking for. And that's where the non-chill filter, the higher yeah, proof comes in. Definitely. That really speaks to a lot of people. When did the development process for this begin? Uh, it started out first... It was about, I guess, two years, year and a half in development. Sure. Uh, first, it was just the concept. Not first, it was just the idea of putting something out there, <laughs> and we kind of had an idea of the concept. Then it was pitching the concept, working with, uh, you know, how to, I don't know, how to position it. Do we want to do something, you know, ultra premium, something more like small batch, something single barrel, something. More like the four roses bourbon, but maybe a different proof. You know, there are a million different directions we could have gone. Of course. But I think it was pretty clear early on that the gap in our portfolio is where this is now positioned. You know, something a little, uh, again, higher proof. Something for yeah. the for the modern consumer. Yeah. I mean, people love our private barrel program is just phenomenal. It's the way it's taken off. And it's great. But the problem is we're doing 50 barrels of that a month. Wow. So <laughs> every, and it sounds like maybe that's a lot, but if you look at, well, forget about looking at the country or looking at, or how it's, look at all of the retailers that are in line that want one that can't get one. Right. And, and eventually they will, but the problem is there just isn't enough of that to go around. And it's not available to every person mm-hmm. that likes the non-chill filtered higher street. It's not available to every one of those consumers every day at every store that they might want to visit. So that was the idea behind this. I think it's been, it, it, it seems like from, you know, consumer's perspective, like it's been successful. Oh, people are, since, yeah. yeah of since course they're going to tell me it. that, but they, well, yeah. everyone I talk to, really, that's their favorite bourbon they've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> but it is the one that I've kind of been pointing people to, you know, if they, they want an experience from, uh, from Four Roses that, you know, is really, truly unique. And I think that, uh, you know, it, it's. It is. I think it really accomplishes everything we thought it would and more. Um, Because really, you don't ever say, okay, our goal here is to do this, 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 and make it delicious. But the fact is, that's the bottom line. You want it to be. It's got to be different. It's got to be something new. But if the consumer likes that, and it'll get them there in the first place, but if it just doesn't have a great flavor, that's what really matters for to actually get a consumer to buy into it or to to buy it again or to, yeah, right. to tell their friends about it. You know, that's what's so, but you know, when here we're always talking about consistency and the recipes and percentages, but the fact is, you know, bottom line is it's gotta be good. It has to be delicious. Yeah. And I really think now, of course I do because I, this is the first one that I did on my own or the first one that I did um, as master distiller. Sure. So obviously it was catered to my taste. Exactly. Because I, there wasn't a standard that I'm trying to, to follow here. It was kind of like well, the yeah. limited editions. I mean, it's just, that's where it, the creativity comes in. It's just do whatever. So ultimately, I mean, I can, there's no standard. So I guess the standard is what I like. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I feel like this one was, I guess, catered to my taste buds inadvertently. And I'm just glad that a lot of people agree with what I like. I, I like that you touched on the ability to be creative with this too because I feel like that's something that 
not a lot of people consider when they think about master distillers. Uh-huh. You know, just the kind of general consumer. Um, their their first thought is not, well, I wonder how much thought they put into this, or you wonder how how many different things they tried before they settled on what's in hand or what's in the shelf or what's in your glass. Uh-huh. And so to hear you specifically say that you enjoy the, the creativity and the craft behind it, uh-huh. that's really cool. Yeah. And I think if you look at any master or anybody that's in that position is there because they, they love the craft, they're passionate about whiskey or their brand, whatever it may be. And they, and just because that's the original sentiment, people want to, or master distillers want to be creative and want to try new things and, and make their product the best they possibly can. So whether it's in our case, when I say creativity here, I'm talking about mingling after the barrels are aged, Mm -hmm. but you see there's a lot of opportunity for creativity in the grains you use, the, how you're producing in the distillery, yeah. the fermentation, distillation. There's so there's so much room for creativity everywhere. Right. For us, we're fortunate that there's a lot of room for creativity with immediate results at the end with the 10 mm-hmm. recipes. Because you might tweak a mash bill or try a new yeast strain or whatever you might want to try differently in the distillery, but you're still sitting, waiting five, six, seven years before you know what happened there. Sure. For us, we got... 10 recipes, I can pull different samples and within an afternoon have five new flavor profiles developed. <laughs> right. They might not all work out. They might, well, it's hard to screw it up when we put it that way. <laughs> they would all work out. It's, it's degrees of how good they are. Sure. They might not all be your favorite. There's going to be, <laughs> there are going to be a few that you like better. And so I guess I'm just telling you, the creativity part of my job isn't that difficult. I could probably, <laughs> I could throw a dart at a couple different uh, sure. recipes and it's going to turn out okay. <laughs> but the hardest part is making it as good as it could possibly be with sure. the batches that we have to work with every year. And then the second hardest part is knowing when to stop because you can always oh, right. take these recipes, bring them together, and uh, you can always make it better. Would, yeah. would there ever be a, a time when you would maybe release... Two, three, five different small batch select or small batch limited editions in a year. Uh, I doubt it, but I would not say no. <laughs> uh, I always joke that you know we're a pretty small staff here, and we're we're well staffed. There are enough, sure. of us, but we don't have a development department. We don't have a research department. We don't have a whole lot of resources, mm-hmm. but we have a lot of good ideas. And we hear a lot of good ideas. Mm-hmm. And like when I hear you say that, yeah, I would love to do that. Of course. I think it would, as a brand, it would be great to have you know, every season there's a new release. Mm-hmm. It's just not feasible right now. Oh, I'd like man, to have a rye cool. whiskey. I'd like to have... Sure. There, the list of good ideas <laughs> is so long that we have to prioritize. And we have to decide what we can do at what time each year. And fortunately, we have the limited edition. That's a staple. We're going to do that every year. But there are always good ideas out there. Yeah. And we're always exploring those and doing what we can. Right. But as we grow, we'll have more opportunity, more resources to try to do more and more of these creative and unique things. Sure. At least unique to us. Yeah. Let's talk to you about, um, we'll, we'll circle back around to the, the small batch LE from this year in a little bit. I want to talk about the first couple of years of you being the master distiller here okay and the the events that led up to that and i specifically want to ask you about jim rutledge okay because the the man you know has a million and one stories as it is and has lived as many lives as you possibly can in the bourbon industry and knows probably more than we will ever forget or i will ever forget about bourbon oh yeah what was your, your relationship with him like as you were coming up as the master distiller here at Fort Roses? Uh, it was always, I mean, he was always so open and helpful with his information, with feedback, always accessible. I remember even when I first came to interview, I was like, oh, I was going to meet the master distiller. And, you know, he walked in the room. It was, 
I don't know how many people interviewed for my position. This was back in 05. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just walked in, very polite, listened intently, and asked a couple questions and went about the rest of his day. And it was all what, from that moment on, I was kind of disarmed. I was like, oh, he's just a regular accessible guy. Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, working with him over the years, we built a relationship. We were working together a lot, in particular on um, like test ones, barrel selections, that sort of thing. And then, but everything that that uh, he worked on, he was very helpful and very open and nurturing about, you know, what it was just advice about, well, for example, advice about production or, good example, advice to me personally when he retired and I took over. You know, we talked at length, you know, he just gave me advice about, a lot of it was about uh, work-life balance. Sure. And which, you know, at the time, and I, I understood that it was important and I knew where he was coming from, but now that I'm a few years into it, all that advice, I realized just how valuable it was. Yeah. And uh, some, he was a pleasure to work with. Um, his What he had done here was remarkable. And I'm sure you've heard the stories, but yeah. you know, this plant was teetering on being being shut down just because the quality of what was coming out was not good. He came in, worked with you know, the people here, John, Al, um, people in the plant. And before long, you know, he turned the quality around. And then the next thing you know, Kieran's coming into bias. And he's the first thing he asks them is if they would please bring Four Roses as a bourbon back to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing, so I'm almost here, so I'm almost on the scene here. So, <laughs> but between then and when I show up, you know, he's out with bourbon in his trunk. He's driving to restaurants and accounts just locally, walking through the door. You know, just cold calls essentially. You know, he's right. he's a master stiller. He's not a salesman, but he loved the brand that much that he was doing that. Yeah, and um, then it just sort of went from there. You know, he was always there doing exactly what the brand needed to, uh, you know, for, he loved Four Roses. So he did, he put his, all those years behind the brand yeah. to help get it to where it is today. That, that entrepreneurial spirit is something that I feel like everybody in the bourbon industry during the, the dark ages had independently of one another. Uh-huh. And, they all said, without talking to each other, let's save bourbon. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it feel I mean, it, it, it worked, clearly, and it, you know, but that's just kind of been how I've seen that, is that they all had such a passion for it that, you know, kind of in a hive mind, <laughs> uh-huh. state without the, the communication said, we need to do something uh, about that. So... Do, do you still talk to Jim fairly regularly, get a little bit of advice from him now still? or um, I don't hit him up for advice, but we stay in touch. Sure. I was just, uh, it's been a while since I talked to him, but we were emailing back and forth about six weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, trying to get together at some event, and then he had something else. So, but He's yeah, a busy he, man. He's, he's a busy man, yeah. <laughs> I'm busy, he's busy. You know, he's got the cream of Kentucky. He, yeah. He's telling me a lot about that. That's going well. Um, I was telling him that I was honest, like Jim, I'm embarrassed to say, but I haven't even tried it yet. Tried to buy some and it's off the shelf before (laughs) I I can get to it. He's like, yeah, no, he's aware of that. Obviously that. (laughs) Oh yeah. As he, as he should be. Yeah. Was there anything kind of that you felt like you had to maybe live up to or maintain when you took over from Jim? Um, I get asked that a lot or I used to a lot. The fact is the pressure wasn't, I guess the perception is that like if if I came in to know what I was doing, the distillery would collapse or yeah. <laughs> distillery wouldn't go out the door the next day. But the fact is there it's a team effort yeah. here. There's so many people that've been doing this for some people guys decades. Sure. That um, you know, if that were the if it weren't the case, then master distillers wouldn't be able to travel. You know, but oh, I can tell you I can tell I can I can pack my bags and go on the road for two weeks. And no one's going to gasp and wonder what's going to happen to this place right. or what's the next blend, how, you know, how a single barrel is going to be approved or, you know, all of that stuff 
Um, so no, it, but the pressure was on because the, uh, well, because everyone knew Jim, everyone, yeah, he was proven and he had such a rapport or still has such a rapport with bourbon enthusiasts, with yeah. the public, you know, and I think I would say that's probably what I learned from him more than as much important stuff as I learned from him. That was probably the most important thing I learned from him was just how how he valued the uh, the consumer. Yeah, um, he would take hours if if he could, and I've seen him probably literally take hours talking to one or two people that might have just asked him a question, right, and had. Weren't expecting that level of attention sure. or that level of uh, detail. And if they're willing to, if they ask and they want to hear it all, then he would tell them. Yeah. And just seeing that, and of course, that's just another offshoot of of that passion and that absolutely that love of the industry and the brand. But, um, and I think that I was kind of nervous about that because, I mean, that is, again, part of balancing everything. Of course. Um, but at the same time, I think that's probably part of how I ended up in this position too because, well, the passion, obviously. When I started, I pitched in everywhere from, and part of that was marketing and, and hosting guests mm-hmm. when they came in, you know, apart from all the work, as I say. But, um, you know, I guess I'll, he recognized that in me too, but that's something that I always admired in him and... I think that was one of the most important things I learned from was just how important it is to to value the consumer. Yeah. To value the people that want to know. Because these things we take for granted. It's like, oh, that's that's a silly question. But no, if someone doesn't know, it's not a silly question. There yeah. are no people are curious about it. They want to know and it's something that of course. it's it's easy for us we have that information. It's like it's nothing for me or someone with that information just to give it for free and it's it's invaluable to to someone asking the question. Absolutely. So you have to understand it's it's that easy just to take some time mm-hmm. and and talk to people. So let's let's talk now about uh, one of these consumer products, uh, as we've already kind of touched on it a little bit. This year's small batch LE. Uh-huh. Um wildly, wildly different from some of the past years in that it had a twenty one year old uh-huh. four roses product in it. You know, everyone is talking about that but you know Al's had a 23 year old in it Al's 50th yeah but it didn't come through as much I think that's why <laughs> people taste this and they see that oak and it's like oh well of course you know there's a 21 year old in there so it's like oh that explains it right Al's had some of that but uh, it didn't have quite the, the oaky palate that this one has sure yeah so what was it and you're pouring some of it for <laughs> for us as well but where did this kind of come into the equation, the 21-year-old aspect of it? And at what point in development did that get you know, pulled into The it? development process is... The only part that's ever the same year after year is the sampling part of it. Sure. It's pulling all the barrels. And then from there, it can go in so many different directions. I try to explain it in general terms. Um, and then even sometimes trying to remember how we got to where we got or how what the, the inspiration was that I had when I chose a certain direction. This one, the best I can recall is I recognized one batch that I wanted to be a part of it. It's a 15 year old. I think the time was it. I was a 15 year old OESV. And then this 21 year old, which I have both these here for you to taste, by the way. Oh my gosh. Um, it was another really good batch and started playing with the different test blends. At that point, there were probably, started out with 20 some odd batches. I narrowed it down to between eight and 10. But those two, I was pretty sure from the beginning that those two were gonna be at least, if not the core of this product, they'd play some kind of a role in it. Um, the other thing I knew was that I wanted to do something different, so that meant I wasn't gonna put an F in the mix because the 2018 had an F. <laughs> Which I love. That's still one of my favorites of all time, the 18. And Al's 50th, which came out just the year before, had F. And F really gives a unique and 
defining character to any bourbon. That's the defining characteristic to me in the small batch select too. Mm -hmm. So we'd done select owls. So I thought it was time to, because we do the 10 recipes, it's always showing our versatility. Um, as much as I love the F, it's like it's the only thing I know I'm not going to put in there this year. So <laughs> it started out with those two batches. And the one thing that I really like about um, the 15-year-old OESV is it's got nice oak, but it's not it's not as oaky as it should be for how its age and how rich some of the other barrel notes come through. It's You don't get that astringent dry oak that can sometimes go flat or sour or kind of mute some of the more delicate flavors. Right. It was still very lively for 15. Uh, the older bourbon, what I liked about it was it had, it is a little bit flatter and it's 21 years old, <laughs> but it could be a lot worse. I'll tell sure. you, but it did still have some of those characteristics that I wanted to blend out, but it also had some very good characteristics that I wanted to blend up. Right. So that's right. that. That's a challenge, just to try to smooth out the rough edges and accentuate the positive. And so that was kind of the core of it, those two batches, and then I just kind of built around those. Sure. And it was with a, an OESK that is also 15 years, and I don't have that in front of us. But if you'd like to try it, I can pull it out of the cabinet. And then an 11 year old that is. OBSV, I believe. OBSV. I think that sounds right. Okay. OBSV or OESV. I know it's the 11 year old. And uh, I used to be able to remember all of these. But I think <laughs> with every new recipe that pops in, another one pops out. I, I only have so much space for all these recipes to swim around. Sure. In my head. But so, so is it kind of hard for you to get everything straight or keep everything straight from time to time? Or? Um, I'll tell you, for the first probably five limited editions, I could tell you the year the age the <laughs> recipe of every batch that went into it and at some point it's like i just something broke and it all just kind of spilled <laughs> out i can kind of give you general i can give you tasting notes and sure. i can give you some generalizations like i know that you know the q was in that year and that was right. the finding flavor or that's one that had a 19 year old or whatever but to tell you yeah to even go back to like i know four yeah yeah, I no, can't. No, no, I used to be able to okay. tell you percentages and everything. No, but <laughs> I can tell you as far back as, but that's about as far as I'm slipping on this one. I know the eleven. Yeah. I can still tell you percentage the percentages. The eleven year old. That's actually where I was going next. The eleven okay. year old in this was twenty seven percent of the formula. Wow. So that uh, basically means the remainder of that was fifteen years and older. Wow. And the twenty one year old was eight percent of the formula. Okay. Originally it was ten percent. But I finalized that formula in February or March. We didn't dump it until July. And so when we went to wow. dump, it had already been pretty hot that summer, or this past summer. So I started to get cold feet about adding too much oak. So last minute, I knocked that down from 10% to 8% on the 21-year-old. Mm. Um, without doing a test blend or anything, but didn't have time. But I just knew that... I just didn't want it to be too oaky. Already, it was kind of right yeah, there on the course. cusp. And I'm not a big fan of a whole lot of oak, but I loved this one. But I could tell that much more and it'd be too much. So that was the reason for the last minute change. But my point is, this is, um, what is it? So 73% of this is you know, 15 years or older. Yeah. So I'd, I'd have to go back and actually break down the ages and get the average age of everything we've done in the past. But I think this would be the oldest of any of the limited editions we've done. It certainly tastes like the oldest. I think it does too. In a good way. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it interests me to know how all of these different recipes work together and play off of each other. Do you uh -huh. kind of know what a specific blend might taste like before actually doing the blend of it? I mean, even you know, based on how old the products are. Usually. Yeah. Um, but I say usually because you can probably count on not being surprised 70% of the time. Sure. But <laughs> there are still plenty of surprises. You can take two very straightforward batches, put them together, and they create something totally different from what, Absolutely. what you would expect. Um, 
I think that's part of the experience and part of what makes it interesting. And so you're always learning, always having fun. You feel like a mad scientist throwing these things together. <laughs> and it, on some level, it kind of is. You're Because you're throwing it together, evaluating it, evaluating them blind, looking at the surprises, you know, patting yourself on the back for the directions that you anticipated. Um, but it's kind of a windy development. As I was saying, you try to piece it all together once it's all said and done. But it's all done in like six weeks since every other day doing test blends and right. it's a windy road and I think in some ways the blends kind of lead you to where you end up you can have an idea of where you're from where you start you have an idea of where you're trying to go and it's very rarely that you get exactly to that place you'll kind of because you're to your point you're not you can't anticipate exactly what yeah. these batches are going to do when they come together and so you might end up exploring a different avenue that you never even thought of originally right so, it's the most fun I have every year. I oh, I'm sure. Doing those blends. And so, the hardest part is, again, knowing when to stop. And the hardest part is <laughs> allowing yourself to stop. Because it's fun. On any given day, how much are you sampling? Or what is kind of your, when you know that you can't sample anymore? Um, it depends on what kind of sampling it is. If it's just, like, single barrel selection, like, see all these cases here. Mm-hmm. Those are all full of individual barrel samples in little bottles like oh, this. Okay. And that's to approve to be dumped for single barrel. Each one of those little 100 mil samples represents one barrel. And I think that's one whole batch. Wow. So that's about, no, it's more than that. It's probably two batches. Each batch is about 280 barrels. And once a batch is approved, and to approve a batch, we're looking at it at full strength at diluted to 20% smelling tasting because that's very important. You want to look at that sample because you can dissect a sample so many different ways. Um, and, but you want to look at every different angle of, for that batch of course. because it's going to be, that whole batch is going to be a single barrel. And that sample that you're looking at represents all those barrels. Once that batch is approved for single barrel, then the next stage is individual barrel approvals that's a little bit quicker well it's a little bit quicker per sample but we're taking every single barrel from that batch at that point we're diluting it to 20 percent and looking at 120 to 150 samples right every day we might we don't do that every day but there's there are weeks where it's you know three four days a week that's a that's almost a constant and we're doing that weekly yeah and so that's a heavy day, but that's smelling. So that's one thing. Sure. You can smell, I can smell a thousand samples in a day. <laughs> um, if I tasted a thousand samples in a day, well, I couldn't taste a thousand no. samples. Even diluted, you couldn't taste, even diluting and spitting out, that would, uh, your cr- nice. productivity would probably decline at some point. <laughs> even diluted, spitting out. But um, the hardest part, and this was, um, I think part of when I talk about experience for me and understanding my palate and being as effective as I can, part of what I learned was how to manage my palate when tasting things at full strength. Mm. And, and when I say that it's because if I'm looking at evaluating test blends of limited edition or barrels or batches, they're going to be private selection. They could be, 10, 15, 20 samples in a morning. Sure. And for those, if they have to be tasted, first it's a bad idea to have that many to taste it because <laughs> there's, well, besides the obvious. <laughs> the midday hangover, yeah, apart I from the obvious. <laughs> I mean, at full strength, we're, we're looking at you know, 120 proof, roughly, on these samples. And you know, the palate fatigue after a couple samples is... Pretty significant. Yeah. So what I've learned, I've learned how to handle it with my palate because I think I haven't talked to a lot of people about how their palates work, but it seems like most people, the uh, they get numb, so the samples get a little bit mellower as they yeah. go. For me, it's the opposite. The uh, like the alcohol, the the burn, the 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 high proof 
that seems additive as I go through. Interesting. Yeah, I, I could sit here, I could take this sample here at 120 proof, and if I didn't know better, or I guess I kind of know better, that's what I'm saying. Now <laughs> I understand my palate. Let's say 10 years ago, you took that sample and you poured up two of them, both the same, you know, exact same sample, and you know, while I wasn't looking, and I'd taste them both within a minute of each other, I would swear that the second one was 10 degrees proof higher. I'd say those aren't the, those probably aren't the same sample. I'd say they taste the same in just about every way, but the second one is harsher. And I think that's um, that's important for me to know that about my palate because I'm making a lot of decisions based on of course. how mellow these batches are. So I know if I'm doing that, it's I'm useless. If I have to look at um, you know, X number of samples in a short period of time, if I do it, I'm not going to actually put any credence or put any weight in those results. So what I do is I will wait like at least five minutes between each sample. Okay. And so if I'm looking at, say I'm doing test blends for limited edition, and I've got eight test blends, that could be a whole morning. Sure. Just to go through them maybe twice, maybe three times. And I'll just, my office is across the hall, I'll come over here, taste the first one, make as many notes as I possibly can, have a drink of water, and actually set an alarm on my phone. Because I'll get sidetracked and end up yeah, forgetting course. what I was about. I'll set an alarm <laughs> on my phone for you know five minutes, come back, look at the second sample, make notes. And I just totally let my palate just go as clean as possible. Mm-hmm. Because, again, it's additive for me. And the first sample I taste... It sounds bad. The first sample I taste in the morning is always the best. It's like, <laughs> with a clean palate, I mean, I'm getting all those flavors out of it. It's, it can be 140 proof. Of course. There's, it, it doesn't burn. Everything opens up. It's, I'm getting the nuanced flavors. Then I taste that same sample 30 seconds later, and it's, you know, well, <laughs> yeah, it's 140 proof. It's, it's harsh. So... That's, uh, yeah, I'm just weird. Or my palate may be backwards that way. Maybe everyone's is like that. But I know the few people I've actually talked with about that, they're like, yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's not how mine works. <laughs> well, unfortunately, that's how mine does. No, I, I, but, I feel like mine does work in that way in that it, you know, it, things do kind of mellow out through, throughout. So uh-huh. I, from, from my perspective, at the very least, hearing that just indicates that you are so different and, and so separate from other master distillers from other dis- distilleries and you know people kind of have that notion of everything's going to be you know pretty much the same in terms of how people produce their bourbon yeah that's, but when you really get into it it's totally different and this is a perfect case of that yeah everybody does it their own way and every distillery does things their own way um, but obviously you know, all the ones that you know well are doing it right and have been yeah, doing it right. That's right. you know them for a reason. Yeah, we've all got our, our you know whether it's the technique of tasting between me and Jimmy or Eddie Russell or yeah. whomever, or our entry proof or whatever. Everybody has their own ways of doing it, and there's some science behind it, and a lot of it is personality. You sure, know, this is the person out of the brand. This is the way they do things. This is the flavor that comes out. And that's the interesting part, I think. You know, that's where, that's where it gets fun. And for me, I'm a scientist. I'm, my background's chemistry. Okay. So you know, I rely on science, but I, re- I recognize that's not the fun part. You, know, the, <laughs> <laughs> you need it, and it's important. And without it, we'd all be in trouble. Sure. But that's not the most fun part. So you're not getting a thrill whole... out of filling a beaker, to exactly. Not really. No. <laughs> So tell me about what it was that you just poured. Uh, This was part of the... Yeah, this was the 21-year-old, since we were talking about that. My goodness. 21-year-old OBSV. It's hard to say anything other than an absolute oak bomb. (laughs) Yeah, and it's not bad. I mean, I think, as I mentioned, I'm not a big oak guy. I wouldn't be reaching for this as my daily pour. or I can appreciate it for what it is. And some people might absolutely love it. But you know it's got that oak in there, mm-hmm. um, and it's it has a little bit of that. Uh, I don't want to say sour, but you know, it's a little bit flat. It, it's not I, vibrant. I it doesn't have legs, but 
it does have some nice, unique, fruity top notes. Mm-hmm. Really chewy. And that was, when I was saying I was trying to tease that out and enhance those characteristics, that's what I'm talking about. Sort of unique raspberry and grape. Yeah. And it's those notes that you try to capture and you try to dilute the rest out. I, I, I'm really enjoying the finish, personally. I think that's where a lot of those flavors are starting to kind of pop yeah. out. And kind of syrupy. Syrupy yeah. fruit that, that sticks to your palate. Absolutely. Uh-huh. What, what's the proof on this? Uh, this is a third tier at 21 years old. I would just be guessing by that as much as the flavor is probably like 115. Yeah. There's a, about midway through the palate, it does kind of punchy with the alcohol <laughs> yeah. heat, but it mellows out so quickly after that. And I, You're right about the finish. Like It's still there. I quite enjoy the yeah, right? <laughs> no, I, I quite enjoy this. This is really interesting. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little bit too... Trying to use this as like a, an illustration. I'm a little too cruel. Like, this one's so old. It, but it's <laughs> it's really not that bad of a batch. It's pretty good. But the oak is too much for my taste. Yeah. And uh, I wouldn't want that to be the dominant flavor in a limited release. But it helps. Even that oak that's in there, the... The just pure oak, just the pure yeah. wood flavor. Even that has its place at the right level. And I think it's in the right level in this in this recipe. And and tasting it right after having tasted the finished product. That's a, a really good you know, now now I can really see how it's all kind of come together and um, see how well everything plays off of each other. Now this one is the fifteen year Yeah, this is of the four recipes that went into it, this is my favorite. Is this the K or the V? This is the OESV. Okay. O three. And this is one of those batches that just kind of has it all. This one I was saying, it's old enough that you get all of the richness. Yeah. You get all of the positive notes that you typically get in the mid-teens. And especially for us with the V yeast strain. But so lively still. Yeah. It's... It's still got a real minty brightness to it on the nose as well. It's a good follow-up to that 21-year-old because mm-hmm. as you start thinking, this is fantastic. Then you taste this. I go, okay, well, I can see how this 15-year-old yeah, right. is so good. That is fantastic. Oh, the creaminess in the middle of the palate is just beautiful. And you can definitely see... I. I now, having, again, had these separate from the final product, you can see how everything would mellow together so well and how it would uh-huh. really, you know, enhance everything else that's going on there. Uh-huh. The, it's fun to deconstruct these things. It really yeah. is. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame this one couldn't come out as a <laughs> its own release. Between <laughs> uh, you and me, I don't know if you heard, we did a Father's Day release. Yes, I did. That's what this is. No kidding. Yeah. Oh. And that was all because we didn't have that planned. As I was um, doing this, I was like, this has got to be released somewhere. Mm-hmm. We don't do the limited edition single barrel anymore. We didn't have enough barrels to do anything significant with them. Right. So we decided to do something just at least to get a couple of them out there. Sure. Just so I could get one I'm, for home. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy I got to taste it now because I hadn't had the chance to yet. Yeah, that's and it. It's not that barrel. I couldn't tell off the top of my head which barrels. This is the first here. I think the one, I, I can't remember. It wasn't this barrel though, I know. But sister barrels to this. Same yeah. batch, same age. Everything's the same. Just a different barrel. Still fantastic. My goodness. Yeah. yeah. I, think that, um, I think we're just about done here uh, with this. With this little episode, okay, uh, Brent, anything else you want to let the listeners know before we uh, before we wrap things up? Uh, well, I did have one other thing here for you to taste. I should have. Oh yes, I should have right. pulled this out, uh, and I touched on this. How that F that yeast strain? Yeah, you know, I guess you know, and your listeners know about yes. our our different recipes. Yeah, but this one is a fantastic example of just. the different flavors that can be sure. expressed from a yeast strain. This is an actual batch that is in small batch select. Okay. And actually, you see all these samples up here? Yes. So yesterday, I redid or reviewed the 
formula for small batch select. So we do that every three to six months because the batches yeah. that go into it, you know, we still have the same barrels, many of the same, not the same barrels, but barrels from the same batches that went to this original. Right. But if we dumped the same recipe today that we did in April or March when we dumped this for the first time, it would not be the same. Sure. It would be six months older. Right. So we have to review that all the time, redo it. Um, but that's a side note. Basically, I just pulled this out because I had it over here and I was working <laughs> with it yesterday. And I want to share that with you. This is just well, a great example so of the FE strain. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. We'll say You're cheers welcome. to you as well. I appreciate it. Well, cheers. You sitting down with me. Is this a good place to close it? I think, close out I think the, so, yeah. I'll let with it, a toast to you and your listeners? I think that's a great place too. Yeah. Well, so, Brent, thank you so well, much. It's been great chatting with you. And, thanks for uh, coming out. Absolutely. Yeah. Cheers, buddy. My thanks to everybody over at Four Roses for making this wonderful interview with Master Distiller Brent Elliott happen, uh, especially Lauren, who I communicated with over email quite a bit, trying to organize this and get it uh, working. And it certainly did. And I'm very happy that it finally happened. I mean, I don't know what else to say about it. I Once again, thank you all so much for listening. We got a couple things to do before we wrap up here. I figured I'd do a really quick little tips and bits for you. Um, because, you know, that's what we kind of do at the end of these episodes. And I figured I would go with some music this time around. And uh, we, we've been talking a lot recently about one of my current favorite artists, uh, Tyler Childers. And I figured that I would uh, talk about his contemporary, um, Sturgill Simpson, who was another Kentucky boy, uh, who just put out a new album earlier this year, actually just a couple weeks ago, uh, as of recording this, and they are going to be going on tour together next year, which is just so cool to see uh, two, two old Kentucky boys uh, playing tunes that they love and wrote together uh, on the same stage. Pretty awesome. Uh, going to be checking them out for sure. This is not an ad for them. I all of a sudden realized that kind of sounded like that, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pumped for, for that, and Sturgill's new album is really good. Um, if you're a fan of, uh, of, of Tyler's music, I think you might like, um, what, what Sturgill has to offer too. So definitely go and check that out. That about wraps it up for this episode. If you would like to follow me on my personal accounts, I am at pritter1492. If you'd like to follow up with the show, it is at my bourbon pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Drop us a line at this is my bourbon shop. Dot com if you have questions or comments for us. Give us a five-star rate and review on the old iTunes app. Uh, I started reading out reviews uh, from from some of our listeners last week. We'll read out another one here. It's short, sweet, to the point. Uh, this is from Whitey714. Uh, the headline is, Great Podcast, and it says, Enjoying listening. Enjoy listening to this, rather, any chance I get. Love the reviews of different bourbon. Thank you so much, Whitey714. Uh, for that review that is really helpful Uh, if you want to help the show out just a little bit you can of course leave a rate and review on the itunes app helps other people find the show uh, especially if they are listening to other bourbon podcasts um, or searching for it it offers up uh, something else for them to check out that's really really important and helps us out a whole lot you can head to bourbonshop.threadless.com if you want to purchase some of our apparel and merchandise. Uh, we do have free shipping going on right now, still in celebration of the 100th episode, uh, which came out just a few weeks ago. So thank you all. Again, just you know, side note for listening to that and downloading that. Uh, it seems like it's been pretty successful so far, so I really do appreciate that. Well, speaking of the 100th episode, by the way, uh, if you would like to continue using that hotline that we set up, uh, to get some calls in for that episode. Uh, that is still active, by the way, and we would love to hear from you guys. If you have questions or comments or an idea or something that you would like read out on the show, uh, please send us a voicemail at uh, 859-428-8253. Uh, we will play that voicemail out on the show, and we will respond to it. And, uh, yeah, I think that's going to be a really fun way uh, to get you guys, you know, back in uh, on the show. I thought that uh, the 100th episode call-in portion was really successful, and we want to continue some of that. I think it would, uh, it would be a lot of fun. 
And also, if you are not yet a part of our Facebook group, you can head to facebook.com and search for this My Bourbon group. Good little community that we have over there. A lot of fun talking about bourbon, what's going on in the news, and everything that's happening with the podcast as of right now. And then last but not least, if you are not yet a patron of the show, you can head to patreon.com slash mybourbonpodcast for as little as a dollar a month. You could become a supporter of this show. Uh, there are some rewards that you can get for supporting the show, such as bonus episodes. You get live hangouts. You get uh, uh, Google chats. You get all sorts of different stuff. Uh, I'm going to be putting up uh, an audio informational bit on there within the next few days, uh, letting people know how things are going to function uh, from here on out. So stay tuned for that if you are already a patron. Thank you so much for, for being over there. Um, it really does mean the world to us. We really appreciate um, all of your support uh, over the past couple of years. And uh, we hope that you continue to do that and feel so inclined to do that here in the near future. That does it for this week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Next week, Curtis and Swan will be back. We're going to be talking about uh, some more big bourbon news that's been happening. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, what is going on with the bourbon trail right now and what the future of that is going to look like, as well as a very special review. So stay tuned for that. Thank you again for listening to this week. My name is Perry, and this is my bourbon podcast. <laughs>